Because the Smurfs is still in the theaters at the time of this episode release, the first few minutes of our conversation will be spoiler-free and we'll give you a warning when the spoilers will start. Are you just watching episode 20, The Smurfs? I'm Daniel J. Lewis. And I'm Eve Franklin. And joining us in studio, not at some remote cryptic location, is... I'm Chris Jones! Still! (laughs) Still! I know! My identity has not changed. And it is great for all of us to be back in the studio again as we are resurrecting this zombie podcast into a regular show again. And we've got some fun things in store for you guys. This is the podcast that shares critical thinking for the entertained Christian. You can come here and hear more than just movie reviews. This is about thinking critically about what we watch and what we consume as just American consumers or maybe Canadians or Mexicans or I don't know who else is listening (laughs) to this. As long as they speak English because we wouldn't be making sense to them otherwise. Yes. Yes. You must speak English to listen. No, we're not going to say that. But... We are glad that you're listening, and if you're listening and aren't subscribed, then it's now much easier to subscribe to the podcast because we just launched our new website, which is back to being at areyoujustwatching.com. Now, that doesn't sound new, but it is new because when you go to areyoujustwatching.com, all spelled out, then you'll see it's a new site. (laughs) And now it's much easier for you to subscribe to the podcast. And we would really appreciate it if you would subscribe over there at areyoujustwatching.com. That way you get these episodes automatically in whatever your favorite podcast program is. If you don't see a link to your favorite program there, just email us or leave a comment and we'll let you know how you can get it in your favorite email or podcast program. And we've got a lot of things in store in the future. But just recently, what are some things that we've been watching? Eve? I've uh, seen Captain America just this last week, and I've seen X-Men First Class, finally. I was in the cheap seats when I finally got to see it. Cool. And that's pretty much about it, other than Smurfs, in the last couple weeks. Would you recommend either of those? Yeah, um, they they were both pretty fun. The X-Men First Class had a lot of evolution in it. So, but, I mean, you kind of expect that from an X-Men movie. But other than that, it was really entertaining. <laughs> Chris, what have you seen recently? Um, Captain America, I've actually seen it twice. It's been out for, you know, grand Less total a of a week. <laughs> so, I, I, I um, have some mad love for uh, Marvel superheroes. So, um, in, in vain, with Captain America... I've recently been rewatching Iron Man and Fantastic Four 1 and 2 and so on and so forth. And pretty soon you're going to get to rewatch Spider-Man all over again, and except done like a video game. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, there were only 500 different kinds of Spider-Man, so it only makes sense that they would oh, good grief. do Spider-Man. That's more iterations again. than there are for Kit from Knight Rider. <laughs> And recently, I've been watching actually a classic black and white Sherlock Holmes, 
with my wife. Oh, how fun. And it's fun. His deductive reasoning and all of that are really fun. And also have and seen... I'm sure it's nothing like the newer Sherlock Holmes, no, which was no. not actually just, awesome. Yeah, it was okay. Well, I mean, for, I didn't actually hate Sherlock in the newest one, so that was big for me because I... Sherlock is arrogant and he makes me mad because he treats Watson so terribly. But in the newest movie, Watson actually stood up for himself. So it made me happy. <laughs> and I also saw the latest or last Harry Potter movie. And that mm. actually, I felt like there was a lot more to talk about in the last movie than there was in the whole series. Like as far as this podcast is concerned. Mm. So I'll be doing a separate episode on that in the coming weeks. And But this episode, we have uh, something else to talk about, and that is about this very fun movie that's come out called The Smurfs. it took me to get it out of my head since we saw the movie <laughs> yesterday she was done with it yesterday <laughs> oh but it's such a cute fun tune now as we get into this everyone should know the first few minutes will be spoiler free and have either of you seen the original smurfs tv show did you watch it i watched a couple of episodes when i was little but i didn't follow it religiously in any way same here i mean i knew who garm the the bag I can never say his name. yeah I knew who the bad guy was and that he had a cat and that he was always after the Smurfs which is basically just the premise of the show so yeah. that's all I got I was actually never allowed to watch the Smurfs <laughs> <laughs> I was a Disney kid growing up so it was all Disney movies for me and Disney TV shows but we did see the Smurfs and opening on July twenty ninth twenty eleven. And what did you think of the movie? I thought it was pretty fun. Yeah. Um, actually had some good family-friendly values mm -hmm. in the movie. Uh, yes, there is some fighting, some tension, the bad guy, magic. Showed a happily married couple. But yeah. yeah it had Who were excited about their baby that they were mm -hmm. pregnant with, which mm -hmm. was awesome. Yeah. Yeah, big things there. And uh, had a happy ending to it. Oh, yeah. All of that. Which you would only expect that from a kid's movie. Of course, if, if you're a cat lover, you may have a little problem with the way the cat's treated in the movie. But um, even cat lover, I mean, I'm a cat lover and yeah, I, I put it in context. And the cat was actually a little more intelligent than Gargamel was, which was actually probably true of most cats. So, <laughs> yeah, so would you recommend this to families out there? Mm, for the most part, with a few caveats. Um, I, I, I think they, they replaced bad language with the word Smurf, and we, we'll probably talk about that a little further. Yeah. But uh, in my opinion, it, kids already know what the bad words are. So the context of Smurf being used instead of the bad language will put the bad word in their mind. So if you're concerned about foul language, it wasn't actually in the movie, but there's enough in the movie that would, if the kids are familiar with the use of bad language, they will know what words they're supposed to be. There's actually a lot more foul language in Rango than mm -hmm. there is in the Smurfs. Right. Chris, what did you think? Recommend it for families? Or? Um, 
yeah, I mean, there was strong family. There was a strong family mm-hmm. core. The Smurfs, with the exception of maybe maybe one or two times, the kids obeyed the papa. I didn't mean you know craziness didn't ensue, but they were pretty obedient. Um, mm-hmm. Which which is rare. Um, there was minimal body humor, like noises or or anything like that. I mean, there was some, but for the kids' movies that I've seen lately, it was practically non-existent in this one, which was really exciting to me. And you know what? We screened it with an audience of children, and the kids seemed to really enjoy the movie. Yeah, They really got into it. They were making noises at the right spots, and uh, (laughs) it you know, they just seemed to really enjoy it. So, and I agree there that it is a fun family movie. It does have that whole magic aspect to it still. Mm-hmm. That's why I wasn't allowed to watch the Smurfs as a kid. Mm-hmm. No. But I could watch Disney. Figure that out. Yeah. Some, most Disney. There's no magic in Disney. <laughs> it's all true. It's all true. But uh, do listen. And as we continue this discussion from this point forward, we will include potential spoilers so if you don't mind the podcast being spoiled, then or the movie being spoiled. <laughs> the podcast's not that good either. <laughs> then yeah, don't leave us out on the sun. We'll spoil if you leave us out there. But if you're not worried about being spoiled by the the podcast for the movie, then go ahead and continue. Or if you want to know all of these thoughts before you see the movie, then certainly listen now. But whatever you do, even if you stop now and wait until you see the movie, please come back and listen. So now the remainder of our conversation will be containing spoilers. So, right off. Really? (laughs) Really? Must you? I must. Right when the movie started, like the very, maybe the second sentence, I think, or maybe even the first sentence, the narrator says, (laughs) there is a place that knows no sadness, describing the village that the Smurfs lived in. It's like right out of the gate, they say this. Mm -hmm. And is there really a place that knows no sadness? There will be. Yeah, that's the thing. There Mm -hmm. will be. But right now there isn't because of sin. We live in a sin-cursed world, and therefore, yes, we have moments of joy. It's not all sadness, but there is sadness because of sin. I would even argue, I mean, I know that they say it about the Smurf village, but the village is not free of sadness because they have Gargamel that they're always worried that is going to find them. So, I, I mean, like, that presence is always in the back of their mind. Yeah, you haven't defeated evil. It's right. It's still there. The it's other just, thing that, that I might say about that is that they had, that it's actually in more of an attitude than than anything else. Because if the opening scene of the Smurfs is they're they're happy despite things that are going wrong. Like, mm-hmm. Clumsy's going through and, and ruining people's pies and destroying things because he's so clumsy. And, and they don't want him as part of the... Um, the dance routine because he's so clumsy and people get hurt and all of that. But in all, everybody's happy about it. I mean, they don't they don't dwell on the bad things. They think about the happy things. And so, in some instances, it knows no sadness because they don't dwell. They don't, it's an attitude thing. They don't dwell on the bad things. They they always look for the good, which is actually a 
a good thing to remember to do. And we do see them acting like that throughout the movie is despite mm-hmm. all of these things that are going wrong, they do still have that uh, attitude, attitude of, yeah. yeah, you know, everything's okay. Everything's going to be okay. Yes, there's this bad thing happening, but we're Smurfs. That's okay. Yeah. <laughs> In Revelation 21, 3 through 5, it's describing that place that there will be no sadness. In mm-hmm. the future, it says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death, There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. That's from Revelation 21, 3 through 5. And that's what we have to look forward to. Mm -hmm. Not a life of little blue Smurfs where Gargamel (laughs) is still lurking about, but we have that heavenly place to look Mm -hmm. forward to that Jesus said he is going to prepare for us. And it is it is a good reminder too that happiness is is an attitude. It's not based on your circumstances and... Joy is an attitude. Fun you get at certain places and through your circumstances, but joy is definitely an attitude. Right. Now, how about the Smurf essence? <laughs> we That's what Gargamel is after during the whole time. And is that how it was in the TV show as well, that he was always after their essence or hunting them? I'm sure he, he was, was hunting them. He was always after them. I wouldn't know if been able to say what exactly he was hoping to get but i don't think that it would make sense of his character i I don't really remember either i was very young when i watched the show but i it would make sense of his character because he's always wanting to be a powerful magician he just needs some kind of source of power to make him more powerful so it would make sense that that's why he wants the smurfs it's interesting that without the smurf essence he's practically powerless Mm mm-hmm but with it, he's powerful. And the essence is, just as it sounds, is an aroma that comes from them. And there are all sorts of ways we see later that he's able to extract essence from them, not just from little shavings of their uh, fur or their, their hair, uh, like he first gets in the beginning, but things like Smurf tears. And sweat. And sweat, yeah. and, mm-hmm. and uh, <coughs> Skin flakes. all of these ways that he extracts smurf essence and it makes me wonder how much essence can be extracted without killing the smurf yeah because it doesn't look like he was actually intending to kill them because as, as long as he has them alive he can keep getting essence so yeah and we don't really know it seems like he wants to kill them to be able to get a full, huge concentration of Smurf. But that's never actually communicated. And even the machine that's there, you don't quite it wasn't see that killing. it kills them. Yeah. No. And he had cages to put them in to keep them. So I strongly suspect that that was not really... His- with 101 Smurfs, you wouldn't have to kill them because just a little bit of Smurf apparently gives you lots of power. And yeah. so if you have over 100 Smurfs, I mean... And if he kills them, then he would he would have a. There wouldn't be his, any more. Yeah, he would have an end to his power. So I wonder if all of these Smurfs have this Smurf essence. Does that mean all of the Smurfs have magical powers? And it seems that way. They're just not all trained and knowledgeable in it, like Papa Smurf is, mm-hmm. where he's the one that 
has the sorcery books and knows the potions and such, but he's able to give that to one of the other Brainy. Smurfs. Brainy. I was yeah. trying to think what his name was. <laughs> and uh, are the Smurfs born with the magic or even well, consider the Smurfs this? Smurfs aren't born. They're oh, brought that's by right. The They're brought by the stork. Yes. Uh, consider this, though. Could the Smurfs give their power to someone? Or can it only be forcibly ta- taken from them? It looked... I mean, I know very little about Smurfs, but it looked like it was more of an inborn kind of thing, and unless they wanted to start donating bits of themselves, like chop off their hair or whatever, <laughs> then I, I would wager no, that that's just how they're born, and it's, it's an inheritance that they can't give away. Okay. Now, I think this is partially similar. They're not trying to make this illustration here a connection, but in some way we could see that uh, in our lives, Satan wants our soul, our spiritual enemy wants our soul, Mm -hmm. but it's not something he can take from us. We would choose to give it away or choose... um, the people who are in deep, dark sin have made a series of choices that led them down that path. Mm-hmm. It's not that the devil just roped them in and made them do these things, but it is something that we're born with the sin nature. But even after we're saved, we still keep that nature, but we can learn, uh, well, Christ covers that nature, and that's right. how we're redeemed. We weren't meant to be sinful. I mean, our original created form was not meant to be sinful. It's part of the curse upon us that we sinned, and now it's part of us. And speaking of created, (laughs) there was only one daughter in this, (laughs) Smurfette, and she was created by Gargamel. And in the beginning, while uh, Gargamel was going on his little monologue to his cat, he said that he said 99 sons and only one daughter. Nothing weird about that. And he said it mm-hmm. sarcastically, of course. But yet he should know because he's the one that created Smurfette. Right. And why? To trap the Smurfs. His bait. Because, I mean, if you have 99 guys and no women, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, think about it. That bothered me a great deal, actually, that the one goal of the woman in that society was to lead them all to their doom. That, that didn't sit well with me. But <laughs> So what about the story of Adam and Eve? <laughs> well, Eve was not created for Adam's doom, no, much to wasn't. some men's beliefs. <laughs> she just became his doom. Well, she didn't force him to sin. That's true. She did it, and then he did it. Yeah. She was just first. Um. Anyway, I had a thought, and it was it was even a, a good one worth sharing. Those are good thoughts. Yeah. Well, you keep thinking of that thought. <laughs> it is, I think, a nice picture of redemption in what Papa Smurf did. So we don't know how it happened, but he or it wasn't he who said it, but it was Smurfette said she knew what she was created for. Mm -hmm. She knew her created purpose was to lure and trap the Smurfs. But she said that, I don't remember the exact word in here, but she said that Gargamel 
saved her from, or not Gargamel, Papa Smurf saved her from Gargamel's curse. And Papa Smurf uh, like did away with the magic or something like that so that then she could be a part of the family. Papa Smurf adopted her into the family, even though she was created as an enemy of the family mm-hmm. and to bring the family down. And she was totally against the family, we would assume, in some way, maybe. But Papa Smurf redeemed her from that and adopted her into his family. Yeah, it may not even necessarily been that she was against the Smurfs from the beginning. It may have just been she was bait. So, to, to lure the Smurfs into captivity to, to Gargamel. But we don't know, because be. we don't really remember. I, I don't remember whether that was part of the TV show or not. So, if Gargamel could create a female Smurf... Why doesn't he create the rest? Right. Yeah. <laughs> Just use all of their essence. Or does she not have essence? She does because the cat got oh, yeah. some of her yes. hair and then he used that to get That's his first true. bit of power. Yeah. Man, he must be really upset at himself that he didn't <laughs> keep her in the first place. Or maybe it was the adoption into the Smurf family that gave her the essence. Could be. Now, one of the things that's interesting about Smurfette, all the other Smurfs have names that have to do with who they are. But Smurfette is just defined by her gender. Yeah, defined by her gender. She's she's the female Smurf. Everybody else is clumsy or brainy or baker or I don't even know who all of them are. But narrator Smurf. Narrator Smurf was fun. And that raises uh, one of our next points: is how a name defines you. And this, correct me if I'm wrong, but. Did we actually hear the answer to whether they're named according to how they behave or whether they behave, behave according to their, their name? name? I think they're given their name based on their behavior okay. not, or what they do. Because if it was the other way around, they behave according to their name. Who's going to name their kid clumsy? <laughs> <laughs> well, they're, they're delivered by sports, storks, so they're not... I mean, they're... And after they 98 have, kids, I mean, how many names are really <laughs> left over? <laughs> the seven dwarves have nothing on the Smurfs. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that was a, kind of an interesting scene and in that, you know, that Clumsy is clumsy. And he obviously is clumsy. So he has earned his name through being clumsy. And Grace tells him he doesn't have to be that. That he can choose. We're not all just one thing. We could choose to be um, other things. Yeah, and we'll mention that in just a moment. Yeah. But um, I wanted to go to a point that Chris made after we saw the movie about uh, how their names meaning something there. Oh, yeah. Cue me. Um, Basically, it's just something that I've been thinking about lately with um, the importance and values of names, because, I mean, that, that tends to be something that's, that's discounted and, you know, that you, you're named whatever, but that doesn't mean anything. That's just how you're identified. But especially in the Old Testament, your name was a reflection and a encapsulation of who you were as a person. After Abraham, Abram and Sarai had committed themselves to God, God changed their name to Abraham and Sarah. Um, with Jacob and Esau, Esau was given his name because he was covered in red hair when he was born. Jacob was given his name because he was holding on to Esau's ankle. I mean, their names were indicative of 
them as a whole. And the names were a really big deal. Um, And it's kind of interesting to juxtapose that with God and his names and all of the many names in the Bible for God. Because even though, like um, Grace said, you don't have to be defined by your name, you can choose to be something else, God is clearly defined by his name. And Mm -hmm. that never changes. Mm -hmm. So if you ever want to do a Bible study of God's names... Go for it. It would be it's it's fantastic. I've I've done one before. Uh, I read a book, praying the names of God, mm-hmm. which was very good. It was a six month devotional guide and very good to learn the names and learn how uh, God, who God is to me according to that name, and very beneficial to study that. And uh, Eve, um, now bringing up the point of you can be anything you want to be. Mm-hmm. Now you can run with that point. <laughs> yeah, sorry to jump ahead. Um, yeah, it just, it, it really caught my attention that, you know, she was she was telling him that you don't have to be, um, you know, he, he thinks he has to be clumsy because that's what he's named and, and it seems to be what everybody expects of him. And and it's what he does. I mean, he just is clumsy. And most clumsy people can't control that. It's just a net, you know, part of who they are. But by her telling her, you don't, we're not all just one thing. You can be something else and still be clumsy. I mean, if clumsy is what you are, then, you know, move on and look for something else you can be in addition to being clumsy. And And that was good advice because in the end, he actually was able to become something else in addition to being clumsy. His clumsiness actually led, in a way, to him being something else. A hero. (laughs) Yeah. And I like, well, you know, we're more than one thing reminded me of Galatians 5.17, where it says we're basically two things Mm -hmm. and two totally opposite things. Right. It's the the flesh and the spirit. Galatians 5.17 says, for the flesh sets its desires or wars some translations say wars against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh for the, these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please or the things that you would. And it's because of this war of uh, what our flesh wants Mm -hmm. and what our spirit wants when our spirit is committed to God. That is Uh, this war then causes this internal tension all of the time. And also, like James says, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. If we're trying to be on both sides, we're going to be completely unstable. Mm-hmm. It's like trying to stand on two different boats on a lake at the same time. It doesn't work. You're going to fall in the water. And uh, like you were saying, Chris, um, or... Eve, whichever one of you it was, this <laughs> other, is that uh, God, actually, I don't think he said it. We'll just keep flowing from there. <laughs> um, are we, can we really be anything we want to be? Not what we want to be. I think it, it requires help to work out, you know, to move outside of of who you are, especially while you were talking now, it made me think of the fact that uh, you, you talk to some people who are really deep into sin. You know, they, they've, they've just seen it all. They've done it all. They've had they've drugs and some of them are even in prison for horrible crimes. And you talk to them about God and they say, well, I'm, I'm too much of a sinner. I can't, I can't 
you know, come to God. I can't seek forgiveness because I'm so evil. I'm so bad. And that's, that's, you know, a lot of us don't realize that that's how sinful we all are. Mm-hmm. We, we, we all need to have that sense of we're just not good enough for God. We never can be good enough. And if you're striving to be good enough, then you're never going to reach, reach it. You can't. It's humanly impossible. And that's why God's transforming power is amazing, because no matter how sinful you are, God can make you something beautiful, a new creature in Christ that is beautiful. And, and while you were talking, it just it made me think that um, being told that you can be something else, a lot of people will, will take that. Well, I can't, I can't be a Christian. I can't be a better person. And it's true, you can't, not in your own power, but in God's power, you can. Yeah, you can want it all you want, mm-hmm. but that's not enough. That's right. not, not that it's not enough. It's not the right thing, right? the right way to be that. And, um, but looking at like physical life, setting aside the spiritual for a moment, but looking at physical life, yes, we can try to be what we want mm-hmm. to be. We can pursue dreams and such. And if it's a direction that God is blessing, then, then go all for it. Mm-hmm. But if it's, you if can't it's not, be, you can't be a great artist if you don't have the skill. Yeah. And, and some of that is, and there, there are life skills that we are, are born with. I don't, I, I'm level one of those opinions that God grants us gifts in certain areas and we can't all be good at whatever we want to be. We have to pick something that we have a gift for. For example, I will never be an astronaut. But I have come to be okay with this. So you didn't weep tears when the space shuttle program was canceled? No, I was actually really kind of sad about that. Because um, now you know you can never be an astronaut. Now I really can never be an astronaut. <laughs> At least not one. Well, if you have enough money, you can build your own spaceship. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, some people that. do. <laughs> yes, yeah, some people do. <laughs> yeah, my neighbor down the street, he's building. <laughs> so... Uh, going back to the beginning of the Smurfs, the movie, while they're still in their happy village with no sadness there, supposedly no sadness there, <laughs> Pop of Smurfs says that he's going to Smurf magic, Smurf some magic and see what our future holds. And because of the vision he saw, albeit an interrupted vision mm-hmm. and very vague, he keeps coming back to that. And he says the visions are never wrong. He said that several times mm-hmm. throughout the movie. The visions are never wrong. And that's the truth that he's holding to. However, consider this. What we see that his visions, what he thought of the vision was wrong. Mm-hmm. Why was it wrong? Because he interpreted it wrong. Yeah, he took his presuppositions mm-hmm. to a rather vague and interrupted vision mm-hmm. yeah he i mean everything that thing. he saw did happen yeah exactly as he saw it exactly as he saw it right but he took his own interpretations to it because he was coming at this scene clumsy a part of the vision seeing it and thinking oh clumsy what have you done mm-hmm. and thinking that clumsy is going to be responsible for this terrible thing that mm-hmm. happens but it is nice that we see that even though something bad happens something good came from it mm-hmm and that reminds me of Romans 8.28 that says uh, that God works all things together for the good of those who love him and are the called according to his purposes. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and also that God makes beauty from ashes. 
Oh, yeah. And so at the end, I think Papa Smurf even says, I didn't get this quote, but he says something to Patrick and Grace that uh, even though some bad things had happened, they uh, met new friends or mm-hmm. family. Right. We kind of just, you know, well, it was, a, it was a happy ending all around. So, But it, it was definitely interesting to hear him apologize to Clumsy at the end for um, realizing that he um, believed more in a vision rather than in, in clumsy and, mm-hmm. and he, and he's big enough to come out and say that. And I, and I think that's a, a good, um, servant leadership, um, example, you know, that even when you're supposed to be in charge, you can be wrong and you can apologize. Mm-hmm. And then also shortly after that in the movie's timeline, despite Papa Smurf's warnings, for uh, for clumsy and saying to stay in the village clumsy wandered out mm-hmm. dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> and disobedience has consequences, consequences. Yeah. and his consequence was bringing gargamel right straight back to the village isn't it kind of funny it's almost like a, a garden of eden kind of thing where they're the perfect village and he disobeys and that village is destroyed it's kind of like the losing the garden of eden because you disobey mm-hmm. that is very true yeah i didn't see that before but yeah good catch there and uh but despite clumsy's disobedience we see that most of the smurfs do obey mm-hmm. papa and respect him even though there's no actual biological connection because all of the smurfs are delivered by storks yeah like, how is odd. he the papa then? Yeah, and where do Smurfs come from? Then, anyway? <laughs> and where did Papa Smurf come from? <laughs> what happened to he all the other Smurfs? He smurfed himself into being. Yeah, <laughs> he's over 500 years old. We know that because he says it to Patrick. Yeah, he's an old Smurf. Yeah. I just thought it was um, really exciting to see that portrayal of a parent-child relationship, especially in a quote adoptive situation because i mean none of them were like you're not really my father or whatever so i can go and do whatever i want they were all they it was obedient and it was immediate Mm -hmm. and and there wasn't any whining or any oh but i want to do this no they papa smurf spoke and then they obeyed now there was one big thing that they didn't obey and that was at the end of the movie and it was yeah. not presented quite in as good a... I mean, it, Papa specifically told them not to come after him. He sacrificed himself so that they could all get free. And Patrick says, well, I didn't promise. And then that leads Clumsy to was like, well, I wasn't there. I didn't promise. And then the rest of them rebel. And and it leads to a good thing. But it, it's kind of bad that that one big disobedience is yeah is presented there. Yeah, and that's that's a tough issue because in the movie they sit, end up saving Pop of Smurf and everything mm-hmm. ends up being all happy after it, but they are still disobeying mm-hmm. him. So maybe parents should just never use those words if, they <laughs> if there's a chance of a happy ending. But speaking of uh, good, strong, healthy relationships, we also see the healthy marriage that oh. Patrick and Grace had. Yeah, that was pretty amazing. It was wonderful. Yeah. 
You so rarely see that. I mean, even in children's movies nowadays, their families are almost always presented dysfunctional. And it was very nice to see a functional marriage and a functional... I mean, the baby wasn't born yet, but you could tell. I mean, even in Patrick's worry about whether or not he was going to be a good father for his child, I mean, that's just a normal fear, I think. And it was just very good to see. And there's there's absolutely no hint of the baby having been conceived before their marriage. And in fact, I think at some point they might have even said that they were married for a couple years. Mm -hmm. Maybe I I might be adding that in, but uh, so a healthy marriage there, good morals. And in fact, showing how Patrick prioritized the baby when Patrick gets this new position that suddenly he's going to be under an extremely stressful deadline for stuff due in just a couple days, his wife, Grace, points out that the ultrasound is within that time period. And mm-hmm. he's suddenly really disappointed because he realizes, oh, that's coming up, that he's, he might not be able to make it. But he wants so hard to try and work everything out so that he can make it to the ultrasound. And he, there's also a scene in the movie that shows uh, where she loses the Smurfs in the mall and she calls him and he's in the middle of something very important. He really can't leave work. And she's like, I need you, Patrick, I need you. And he drops everything and mm-hmm. goes running. I, I almost broke into applause right then. I'm yeah. not going to lie. <laughs> I mean, it was a t- pretty amazing scene that, I mean, this was his career on the line and mm. he dropped it all. And later he wasn't able to make it to the ultrasound, but right. there is a picture from the ultrasound. Mm-hmm. And I forget what the note said that our, was attached to it. The, our, our baby's first picture, or mm-hmm. it was about the first picture of their okay. child. And it, it wasn't saying our fetus's first picture, yeah. or <laughs> what is that thing? Yeah. But it was uh, very honoring of the unborn mm-hmm. life there. And there is a point, though, where Patrick, in a fit of anger, is saying that he never wanted to have little people running around. And that hits Grace and hurts her uh-huh. because she suddenly takes that as... Does he a, really want to have a baby? Yeah. yeah. And I think that was his fear speaking. And that all kind of comes out in a conversation with Papa Smurf later. That it's, It really is his fear speaking because he doesn't know what to do with children. Hmm. And that I think that is... I think, to be honest... If I were a parent, that would be my number one fear, too, is whether I'd be a good parent or not. And the whole desire of, do we really want to bring children in the world? Are we really going to be adequate to raising those children? Yeah, but he does learn, even the times maybe where he sort of put his family second, he Mm -hmm. still learns to put them first, above his work. And I think his wife also shows a healthy thing in that she's extremely supportive of what he has to, the sacrifices he has to make for his career. And I I think that it's important that women realize that men are very job centered and that it's, it is a a support role. God made us to be helpmeets. And that means that, you know, if your husband needs to work instead of play or do any of those things that require you to, you know, set aside your own wants to support him and what he needs to do. That That is part of how men identify themselves. And so we have to be supportive. And they presented that very well in the movie as well. The other thing that I really appreciated was when um, Patrick said, I, I, I never wanted that, that she doesn't break into tears or she doesn't start yelling at him mm-hmm. or she just, she says, oh... 
And then he, you know, starts trying to apologize. And, but she doesn't react in anger. Mm-hmm. She doesn't necessarily understand that that was coming out of fear. Mm-hmm. But she, she waits for it to be dealt with. And she doesn't just immediately assume she knows what's going on with him. Yeah. But he does realize that he just said something that hurt her. Right. And, and he apologizes for it. Yes. <laughs> Instantly. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. <laughs> Now, the whole reason he got this major deadline was because in his job. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Best line of the movie. Best line in the movie. And what was that line? God only needed six. Set it up. up. (laughs) He's given three days or two days, really. Two Two days to do an entire graphic design project, which for those of us who've done graphic design from concept, it's, you know, for what he was being requested to do, it's a practically impossible task. And and he's complaining in a, in a way about it, and and he's like, God only needed six days to create the world, and uh, it, it it was um yeah. And his uh, his new boss said, "Well, work for him. <laughs> Go work for him." <laughs> but I, what do you think? Was that statement in any way reflecting anyone's beliefs who produced the movie? Um. No, probably not. I, probably I don't. It was said so. in sarcasm. It, yeah, somewhat. Yeah, well, yeah, but these statements don't make it into movies like this uh, ignorantly. Yeah, and that's true. So the producers knew what they were saying when they mm-hmm. put this in there, and they didn't even really say uh, God only needed six days about six thousand years ago, but he just says six days. But still, it is neat that that made it in there. It mm-hmm. doesn't really mean the movie is suddenly a Christian movie. Because or even of a young earth creationist movie. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, just just nice that it was in there. And that's actually a line that we might even use ourselves sometimes. Mm-hmm. Or, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> depending on our projects. It, it, it's, it always kind of reminds me of Ken Ham and Answers in Genesis sometimes talks about Martin Luther and how uh, he, he made the comment to his to the people of his day who were complaining that or trying to explain, yes, that God could have created, you know, in, in a minute, you know, he didn't have to take six days. And he was like, well, you know, God said he took six days. I don't care, you know, whether he could have done it in a shorter period of time, but he took six days. And now the argument's the opposite. It's like, did he need millions of years? And, and, uh, so the fact that he only needed six days to create the world, he really only needed, to speak it into existence, why he took six days to create the world is the question. I remember that quotation from Martin Luther, and I love how it continues from there. I've used this quotation myself in mm-hmm. some sermons I've given. Is He says, if you cannot, I'm kind of paraphrasing here, but he says, if you cannot accept how God could have created everything in six days, then grant the Holy Spirit more wisdom the, than you. you. Yeah. yeah. The honor of being more learned than you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Now, Eve, I know you're going to get excited about this one and not the good kind of excited. (laughs) Follow your heart. Question mark. (laughs) Yes. Yes. It's it's a a prevailing theme in just about everything nowadays. It's actually in commercials of all things. It's everywhere. You can't get away from it. It's like the humanist motto or something. Even um, there's a Christian movie coming out called The Lamp, which I've had the opportunity to screen and the movie won't be out until October. I'm going to try and get an interview with Mm -hmm. the producer who is a Christian 
and it's a very family-friendly movie. But even in it, being a Christian movie and the producer wanted it to support Christian values but have a higher quality than traditional Christian movies like you might typically see. Um, Its whole point is believe. Believe. Just believe. Hey, isn't that the Creation Museum's... Well, that's prepared that's to believe. That's prepared to believe. Oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> but it's not prepared to believe in yourself. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that would be a very different museum. Yeah, yeah that would that's be a the, different uh, museum. Humanist museum, yeah. probably. But what's wrong with follow your heart? Well, the heart will lead you astray. The human heart is. I mean, we know from scripture, and we don't even have to look at scripture to see it. I mean, look at a child. Uh, uh, go go to a nursery sometime or daycare where there's like three and four year olds and watch them for 15 minutes and you'll know that the heart is not a good thing to follow. What's even better is read some parenting guide books or listen to to speeches or whatever and then go watch the children because the people who are spouting off this nonsense don't actually haven't ever actually met a child before they were never children and they've never actually met one and and so they just they don't you need to give them space and you need to trust them and you need to be your friend and don't discipline them and this that and the other and I mean, I remember being a kid and I'm real glad that my parents spanked me cuz I needed it sometimes oh, yeah. And that's, I mean, the scripture says the heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? That's from Jeremiah seventeen nine, And it's just amazing that people somehow in this culture seem to overlook the fact that if you follow your heart, your heart gets you in a ton of trouble, mm-hmm. ton of trouble. It, it, your heart will never lead you in the right, right place, the right direction. It, it's just not built that way. Emotionally, we are always going to, to pull ourselves in the wrong direction. Yeah, because like it goes back to uh, the Galatians verse, Galatians five twenty one that I mentioned earlier, or seventeen five seventeen. Yeah, thank yeah. you. Is for the flesh wars against the spirit, and the mm-hmm. spirit against the flesh, and our heart is flesh. Mm-hmm. And like Jesus said to his disciples when they were just having trouble staying awake and praying, right? Not avoiding major sin, but just staying Being awake. awake. <laughs> Um, Jesus said, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Mm -hmm. And our heart is our flesh because Mm -hmm. it's our heart that's deceitful and desperately wicked, like you quoted from Jeremiah 17, 9. And we also know that um, that the heart can be a source of something good, but I think the the heart has to be the source of something good only when Christ is in it. Um, in Luke, it says the good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth what is good. And the evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth what is evil for his <laughs> mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. And what fills its heart? What, what, if you're not in Christ, if you're not leaving, living a spirit led life, then what is filling your heart? What, what's going to come out of you? Yeah, it's very similar to the proverb, um, I can't remember the exact reference at the moment, but we'll have it in the show notes at areyoujustwatching.com slash 20. But it's a proverb that says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And it's, it's really, what is the condition of our heart? And that's what influences what we say. And Jesus mm-hmm. said, it's not what goes into a man that defiles him, but what comes out that mm-hmm. defiles him. 
And if we're acting on that, then, you know, we're asking for trouble. Uh, there, there is something interesting that kind of leads us back to the whole family thing and the fear of fatherhood. Um, one of the situations um, where that that philosophy is portrayed is when Papa Smurf is having a discussion with Patrick about fatherhood, and he says he tells he tells Patrick uh, Papa Smurf tells Patrick he says when the time comes you'll know what to do, uh, with the understanding that the heart is going to lead you into that, but we know. Um, that that's not necessarily a good model for fatherhood because Christ tells us, I mean, there's actually instructions in the Bible about how to be a father. And um, in Ephesians 6, 4, it says, fathers do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So it's not just a matter of knowing what to do or, or just when the right time comes, trusting your heart to tell you what to do. Because a lot of times you're, as a father, your heart's going to tell you to get mad and, and hit something. You know, you don't want to do that to your kid. But if you're in the Word and, and you're bringing your child up in the instruction and admonition of the Lord, then you you have an instruction manual that you're using and raising your children. There's a less uncertainty there. I think the best way to illustrate that is that um, a couple of scenes before it is when Patrick was afraid. And he, you know, wasn't sure if he was ready for this kid and he didn't know what to do. That fear came from his heart. So if mm-hmm. he's to listen to his heart, that would be putting him running away and leaving his wife and baby. Right. Mm-hmm. And many men do that today. Well, I wouldn't mm-hmm. call them men. I'd call them mice. <laughs> <laughs> Rodents. Yeah. Give in to that fear. Now, I want to tell you a little story uh, leading into this next point. As a kid... I heard about this thing that I wanted to see, and I stayed up all night long to see it. I wanted to see the moon turn blue because I heard that it was going to be the blue moon that night. (laughs) And I stayed up all night long. I saw that moon. I watched that moon through my telescope. It never turned blue. (laughs) (laughs) And I really did this. You were lacking Smurf magic. (laughs) Obviously. And in the movie... There, the moon in Smurfland, wherever Smurfland is, mm-hmm. we don't really know if it's on Earth, but it's somewhere. The moon there turns blue. Occasionally. It's a seasonal thing. Yeah. <laughs> and to us, though, blue moon, in case people out there don't know, or in case you're immediately thinking of a beer, blue moon, <laughs> blue moon is simply when we have a full moon twice in a month Hmm. and it happens very rarely because of the the solar the lunar cycles there uh so that's all that a blue moon is it's just it doesn't actually turn blue no i i stayed up and i can testify to the fact with eyewitness (laughs) account with my own eyes i saw that it did not turn blue that one time but we hear that moment well yeah (laughs) we hear people say stuff about happens once in a blue moon and that comes up several times mm-hmm. in this. And Chris, this is a note that you had made about the blue moon moments in the movie. It's really not. That was a point I made. <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm flattered that you would think that. But <laughs> well, it, it the the movie kind of hinges on the blue moon moment. It, it's something that um, he, he had done this ad for his 
the ad that he had two days to come up with by mistake actually turned into a blue moon ad. He had intended something else and due to clumsy's um, actions, uh, the actual blue moon ad that he had was his secondary choice was the one that got used and his employer was a, a little mad about it. And there was this, this scene where he's trying to explain to her that tr- trying to, to bring out why that the blue moon works as an advertisement is, is because, you know, it just, it, it's something rare. It's something special. It's a, it's a, a moment that only comes once in a lifetime. So you really have to, you know, don't let those blue moon moments pass you by. And, and it becomes a, a very special occasion uh, in, in this movie because there actually is a blue moon during her release party. And, and it, it makes it a whole very spectacular and I think probably guarantees him his job there. But the, the Smurfs actually turn. The, yes, the moon they actually blue. turn literally. Yeah, literally yeah. turn it blue. Not just make it appear again. Yeah. <laughs> they turn it blue. But of and, course, then the question is, is whether next time she has a party, she's going to want Patrick to turn the yeah. moon blue and it's not going to. He's gonna got happen. really high expectations now in his new job. But even in that whole thing of his explaining the blue moon ad mm-hmm. when it w- was sent by accident, uh, not the ad that he got approved and not the ad right. she saw. He goes into this whole thing about also yeah, the blue moon moment, but mm-hmm. really that it's the ad he should have sent. If right. he was following his, his heart, heart. Yeah. it's the ad he should have sent. <laughs> and Chris is giving a big thumbs down, <laughs> dump, thumbs down for that. Yeah. But it, it is kind of interesting that, I mean, you hear people talk about stop and smell the roses and, you know, that whole take advantage of your blue moon. Don't let the blue moon moments pass you by. It was good advice to his boss, but I think it's good advice to all of us to really pay attention to the stuff that's going on around us. And, and you know, don't let the moments pass you by because you're so busy looking to the next thing. Be still and know that I am God. Amen. I, I don't not, know the yeah. Reference. Chris isn't God, God yeah, but yeah. I'm not God. Please don't mistake me for God. <laughs> that's from uh, Psalms somewhere. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and as well in the New Testament, there's the passage that says, "Redeeming the time mm-hmm. that we should be redeeming the time for the days are evil." And so we should be taking advantage of those moments, not just those once in a lifetime moments, mm-hmm. but realistically. Every moment is a once-in-a-lifetime right. moment. Right. We're never going to get gonna this reclaim second it. back. Yeah. Yeah. Those few moments of silence <laughs> I just now gave you, <laughs> you're never going to get those back. <laughs> I'm sorry, I wasted your time. <laughs> but it is a good reminder for us to seize every moment, just not those mm-hmm. what we call once-in-a-lifetime right. things, but realize every moment is well, a once-in-a-lifetime. See, every moment is special. Mm-hmm. Just like all the others. Yes. <laughs> Each one is uniquely special. Yeah. Super unique. <laughs> Lastly, the word Smurf <laughs> is used a lot in here. And uh, what the Smurf is going on with all of that? Oh, just Smurf it up, man. <laughs> I think it was just their excuse, their way of having bad language without actually having bad language. Just yeah. kind of what I said earlier. But it... I think it, it draws a laugh because everybody's expecting a different word there. Um, but they also used it in other ways. There weren't just bad word uses. There was the... Um, Smurf up the tree. Yeah, Smurfalicious. Like, yeah. Uh, Smurf it. Uh, I mean, they they just would put Smurf everywhere. It, it was the ultimate adjective, adverb, mm-hmm. verb, noun, 
and any other form of word that you care to use. And this is even an audio here from the trailer where we get to hear this and how they use it in the movie and even point this out, how they use the word Smurf. Mm -hmm. Smurf, exactly. Stop saying Smurf for everything. Smurfity Smurf, Smurf, Smurf. (laughs) There's no call for that kind of language, laddie. (laughs) (laughs) But here's the question or the issue that this raises. While they're using the same word here, and mm-hmm. we can tell just from the context whether it's being used to be a in bad the place word of or an good. expletive, mm-hmm. consider this words in English that we consider offensive mm-hmm. or obscene. Now, this could be a whole separate topic, but are they <laughs> inherently ob- offensive or obscene, or is it a cultural thing? Now, I know one word in particular was created to be offensive. Mm-hmm. Uh, but some of the other words that we use and how, like, if you go into a different country, they have other words that mm-hmm. they consider as offensive. It's definitely cultural. Yeah, I think bad words are definitely cultural. But I think it's the context because it's mm-hmm. like um, when when uh, Jesus was giving his Sermon on the Mount, he, made, he makes the comment about um, don't swear... Um, by heaven for it is God's throne or by the earth for it is his footstool nor swear by Jerusalem because of the city of the great king. And he goes on and he says, just let your yes be yes and your no, no. For anything more than these is from the devil. And I think that that is basically what it boils down to is, is that we use words to mean things when they shouldn't, when we should be just being truthful in our language. And culturally that gets changed. I have, speaking of being truthful in our language, um, the use of Smurf in the movie emphasizes this vague ambiguity in language. And it's funny because it's just the same word over and over again. But in language today, that's a real problem. Sometimes it's really hard to have a straight conversation with people because they're vague and evasive and they won't give you what you're looking for no matter how hard you try. And that can be really, really dangerous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let your yes be yes and your no be no. <laughs> and go to are you just watching to subscribe <laughs> to the show there's one other one other little scene that i want to discuss and um there some people will catch it i i actually heard some people talking in the office today about uh they'd heard that there was a a lewd uh scene in in the movie and the only thing that i could think of that they were talking about was the scene where smurfette is modeling her new dress and she comes out and stands on an air vent and she does the marilyn monroe impersonation with the the dress flying up and she's trying to hold it down none of the the The, vamping that marilyn monroe did used yes and then and then the the scottish smurf comes up (laughs) and and does the same thing with his kilt which it's a funny scene the kids all laughed and everyone's covered yeah, everyone is all covered at the whole time. But I, that was the only scene I could think of that that could have been an issue, and I actually laughed because I thought it. Any, it's amazing that 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 one image of Marilyn Monroe has lasted through multiple cultural illusions through the years. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. And also another scene that just came to my mind is. What we saw with when the Smurfs were in the toy store, 
mm-hmm. and how all the kids were acting that suddenly they turned into greedy little monsters. Oh, well, yeah. even oh, Smurfette. I mean, that was, it was like the, the ode to materialism. It's like she goes down the doll aisle and she's like, look at all these dresses. And there was even a point where I think when Grace comes in, they see Grace the next morning after they stay with her and she's in a different dress. And Smurfette says, you can have more than one dress. And that, that whole idea of, you know, in we're, we're actually warned in Scripture not to covet. It's actually one of the Ten Commandments to not covet, to look at what other people have and want it. And I think that that was actually a kind of a loss of innocence for Smurfette because she never coveted, you know, someone else, you know, having more than one dress. She had her dress, and that was what she wore. And then she saw that you can have more than one dress, and then she wanted more than one dress. So... That's a a good warning. <laughs> On the topic of dresses, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but the modesty level of all of the women in the movie was pretty high. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't quite remember what Patrick's boss wore, but I don't remember going, oh my goodness, please cover it up, lady. So, mm-hmm. I mean... There, there was not outward, uh, not obvious innuendo... But the way that sometimes um, Patrick's boss spoke, mm-hmm. uh, especially like when she spoke to Gargamel when mm-hmm. she met him later, was very seductive mm-hmm. sounding and in her tone and the way she spoke. But she had no intentions, but she was just trying to entice him into helping her business. But it did a, it did bring vanity into us. Uh, it, uh, the side of evil in the movie to some degree because you see that whole wanting to look prettier wanting to change yourself I mean the transformation of of her mother into a young woman again by Gargamel's magic and, and it was just that that it it left a bad taste in your mouth which is a good thing because that's not a good behavior and it, so I guess the movie kind of presented vanity as a bad thing so that was a good thing. Presented as a bad thing, and that's a good thing. <laughs> yeah. Now, you know what would be a good thing? For people to go to areyoujustwatching.com and subscribe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and do check out the show notes. They'll be at areyoujustwatching.com slash 20. And while you're there, leave a comment on what you thought about the content, what are some of the things that we shared if you watch the movie, then we would love to hear your thoughts on the movie and compare them with ours, and we can start this conversation going. If you want to send in direct feedback, not just comment on the episode post, which I encourage you to do, but if you want some, to send some feedback to be included in a future episode, then send that to feedback at noodle.mx or call 859-353-4332. Also, follow us on Twitter. I'm at twitter.com slash the ramen noodle. And I'm at twitter.com slash E. Franklin. And I'm still Twitter free. <laughs> Someday, Chris, we'll get you on Twitter. Not that I actually tweet very much. I'm on Twitter, but don't expect to follow much activity on my... <laughs> She's not a very flighty person. Yeah, <laughs> I don't Twitter about. <laughs> <laughs> what you had for breakfast. <laughs> Anything like that. So do check out the show and uh, the the website out there. And um, I, I want to leave you with this last encouraging thought. La, 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 la,
Unfortunately, there will be no more Are You Just Watching shows because something horrible is going to happen to Daniel today. Ah, oh, much better music. But do go and sing a happy song and just go around humming that song. Because you won't else. be able to get out of your head ever again. Yeah. Be sure to check out the show notes at areyoujustwatching.com slash 20 and subscribe to the show and your favorite player. Send us your feedback, suggestions for future episodes. I'm Daniel J. Lewis. And I'm Eve Franklin. And I'm Chris Jones. Thanks for listening. And don't just watch. Are You Just Watching is a proud member of the Noodle Mix Network at noodle.mx. Our opening vocal talent was thanks to Mariah. The theme song is used courtesy of Answers in Genesis. For more great podcasts like this one, visit the Noodle Mix Network at noodle.mx. That's noodle.mx. I had to. Clearly.